Hello and welcome into The Mashup, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson. Happy Friday, everyone. And it's been another interesting week of crazy, heading into another pretty good weekend. Uh, well, we'll get to Overwatch in a later segment, but I have to say definite definite drop off in quality of matchups this weekend. They may surprise me and they may end up being great, but just looking at some of those matchups, the the teams are not very evenly matched other than maybe the two Atlanta matches. That's like it. But we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. Up first though is some college basketball because they had a very interesting week and so far there have been some some upsets some miraculous avoidance of upsets and two really big games this weekend so one of the things that happened this week that got a whole lot of people's attention was duke losing to wake forest by 12 in double overtime and I got to just come out and say it. I enjoyed the heck out of this. I thought this was hilarious because everyone knows who follows, who follows college basketball, at least that Wake Forest is kind of awful. They are consistently one of the worst teams in the ACC, basically ever since Chris Paul left, which is like 15 years ago plus. So uh, that's, that's not a great look. For uh, a team to be uh, that consistently bad for for that long, because they really they really haven't been good since Chris Paul left. And they had a great stretch. They had Tim Duncan, and then pretty much immediately followed by Chris Paul. But since then, <laughs> they haven't been able to do anything. And poor Danny Manning, like the guy was a great player in college. He has proven to be not a great coach. Because Tulsa was average at best with him at the helm before he took the Wake Forest job. And Wake has just been downright really terrible with him. But they got the win against a top 10 Duke team. And... Okay. That's, uh, That's college basketball for you in the year 2020. And it was hilarious to me because this is now twice they have lost to unranked teams by double digits in the space of a couple days. Those two games were three days apart. Or no, uh, six days apart. So, So just over a week apart and they beat the crap out of Virginia Tech in between the two. But still, you uh, you lost to NC State, who are not very good this year, because uh, let's remind everyone, they lost to UNC, who are atrocious this year. And then they beat up on Virginia Tech, who aren't great. They, I think they will get better, but this is not going to be their year. And then 
They lose to Wake in double OT. Thankfully at Wake, so it is a it is a road loss. Both of them are both of them are road losses, so they don't hurt you as much. And when you're Duke, you're pretty much guaranteed to be in the tournament every year just because of reputation. But the interesting thing about this game is Brandon Childress, probably one of the best players on Wake, really overall had an awful shooting night. Like He was really terrible early in the game. And then eventually he kind of found his rhythm and hit the game tying three right at the end of regulation. So he kind of made up for it. I mean, he went six for 20 overall from the floor. There's only three of five at the free throw line, but he was a he. It wasn't exactly called efficient, but he scored 17 points, and he he was uh, he was rebounding the ball. So like he he did okay. I feel kind of bad for Olivier Saar, who was the leading scorer on Wake and tied for leading scorer of the game. With Wendell Moore, who uh, last time I checked is pretty good. The, those two tied as leading scorer of the game, but Olivier Saar he scored more points in less minutes on more efficient shooting, and Childress gets all the credit because Childress hit all the big shots, and that's the way it goes in basketball. I mean, this was obviously a team effort from Wake because. Uh, their lowest scoring starter scored 16 points. So uh, these guys came to play. They they saw an opportunity to beat Duke and kind of mess with their season a little bit. I think this definitively drops Duke off the two line this past like week stretch where they have uh, they have lost to some pretty bad teams. I think this definitively drops them off the two line and down to the three, they're probably going to fall outside the top 10 come the polls next week. So yeah, not a great, not a great run for Duke. I know they got the win over Virginia tech, but that was at home and you can't ignore losing to NC state by 22 and wake by 12. And this game also included the, uh, the now infamous, uh, possibly insincere sportsmanship from Coach K where he either is really mad about a loss and just blows through the handshake line or he'll make up... There, there's there's the formula of uh, when Duke loses, what's going to come from Coach K? Is he going to just blow through the handshake line and not even bother to shake anyone's hands? Is he going to talk to one guy for an extended period of time and be like super condescending? Or is he going to make an excuse about either his health or something else that is generally unrelated to basketball to try to cover for the fact that his team lost to a team they should uh, blow out of the water? This time, it was just there were no excuses. It was just that 
a really insincere congratulations to a player from the other team. And in this case, it was Childress for hitting most of the big shots that really allowed Wake to win that game. Well, again, Olivier Saar kind of got the short end of the stick as uh, tied for the game's leading scorer and was the leading scorer for Wake. Kind of kind of got the short end of the stick on the uh, the disingenuous congratulations from Coach K. I don't think he cares because, you know, they beat Duke. They're still three games under 500, and they're definitely not making the tournament without a miracle run through the ACC tournament, but kind of a highlight of their season. It's definitely the best win they've gotten so far because, uh, let's be real, the ACC kind of sucks this year. The ACC is way down this year, and that's going to hurt some of the some of those mid-tier teams when when tournament time rolls around. I don't know who it's going to affect the most, but it might hurt all of them because I don't think uh, I don't think Duke is really all that good this year either. I think they have some glaring weaknesses on that roster and just look at just look at some of their games where they needed overtime to beat an atrocious UNC team. They overtime and uh, some lucky breaks if we're being honest and some really bad decisions from UNC. They lost in a blowout to NC State and now they've they kind of choked away a win at Wake Forest. So it's not, and of course the the big one at the beginning of the season when they lost to Stephen F. Austin, like it's not looking as good for Duke this year. I don't think they're going to make a super deep tournament run because I don't think, I think they have the talent this year. I don't think they have the experience or the killer instinct. Like, as the years go on, the the one-and-done model takes more and more hits to its effectiveness because the past couple champions have not been composed of mostly freshmen. The past couple champions have all been led by juniors and seniors with maybe a few like really talented freshmen. So... The one-and-done model is taking a hit more and more with every passing year. And I'm okay with that, because I hate it. It it diminishes the quality of the game in college basketball for guys to not stick around for even a couple years. Even if, even if they just had to stick around an extra year, the game would improve so much. I'd rather them... I've talked about it before, adopt the baseball model where you can go pro if you think you're ready. But once you sign and step foot on campus, you are locked in. Well, not once you sign, because you can sign and then still get drafted as a high school. And if you like your draft spot, you can you can go pro. But then if you don't, you can go play college. And once you step foot on campus, you're there for three years. I like that rule, and I think basketball should adopt it because it will make both leagues better. 
because guys like Zion, Zion did not need to play college ball. Zion Williamson did not need to play college ball. Anthony Davis did not need to play college ball. But some of these other guys probably should have. And if they stuck around for three years, college basketball would have improved. And when they get drafted to the NBA, the NBA will be better for it because you will have more developed players who are not 19. They're 22, 21, 22. And you'll overall have a better game. Anyway, that's that. That's more an off-season conversation than uh, like leading up to draft time than it is for right now. But kind of assisted my point a little bit. One of the other big things that happened this week was Maryland at Minnesota. Now the line for this game was Maryland plus one, and everyone was screaming about how dumb of a line that was. And going into the game, I would agree. Maryland was Maryland was and thankfully still is the first place team in the Big Ten. They were twenty two and five coming in, and Minnesota was thirteen and thirteen. Why were Maryland one point dogs? Well, clearly Vegas knew something we didn't because in the first half, Minnesota could not miss. One of the worst three-point shooting teams in the country, possibly the worst in the Big Ten, could not miss from three-point range. And what a shock, the refs in a Big Ten game were god-awful. So add all that up, Maryland couldn't make anything... Minnesota couldn't miss, and the refs were absolute trash. That all adds up to a 16-point lead at halftime for the Golden Gophers. And then the second half happens, and Maryland remembers, oh, wait, we're actually good. And they went on an absolute tear, even after a pretty terrible night from Anthony Cowan. Yeah, only 10 points, 0 of 8 from 3. That is a terrible night by his standards. Absolutely terrible night by his standards. Yeah, you can you can just look at the box score from this game and it screams Maryland did not have their best night. They should have won this game by a whole lot more. And this guy, Daniel Otoru, He couldn't miss anything. Dude was going off. Props to him. He had an awesome game. He finished with 28, 10 of 13 shooting, like 11 rebounds and an assist. Dude had a great game. He was playing almost the entire game, so he was probably kind of gassed by the end of it because he would have had to guard Jalen Smith, which uh, is not fun for anyone. But in the second half, Stick Smith, he took over and he had a really good second half, as did a few of the other guys, Scott, Scott, and then Wiggins off the bench. Wiggins had a, Wiggins was probably the best player overall in the night, at least the most efficient. Obviously, Jalen Smith is the best player on the team, so he kind of spurred that comeback a little bit to start the second half. But 
maybe there's something different about this Maryland team. I don't necessarily trust them because I've seen them waste, really, if we're looking on paper, better teams than what they currently have. I think that 2016 team on paper is better than the 2015-16 roster on paper is better than this one. And they just washed out of the tournament. They struggled against Hawaii. They struggled against San Diego State. Two teams they should beat relatively easily. And then they got the doors blown off of them by Kansas in the Sweet 16. Until proven otherwise, that is still my expectation for this team in the tournament is because they, in Turgeon's entire nine years at Maryland, they haven't shown anyone anything different than that. That they are ridiculously good on paper, but they are never able to execute. Like, ever. And it's a shame because with all that talent you have in and around the Baltimore DC area, you should be able to get, you should have pick of the Baltimore DC corner, but they're not good enough to do that. So teams like Nova come in and Georgetown can get a few. They haven't been very good lately either, but other teams have, obviously you can't get everybody. So other teams are going to get guys from, out of the Baltimore DC area, but you should be able to get the best guys from that area. Obviously you have a few Daryl Morcell who hit the game winning three. And I didn't think that was going to go in. I really didn't think he was going to make that one, but he, he pulled up from three and just buried it. And Interesting choice by Turgeon to not guard the inbounder. And the guy from Minnesota got a shot off and Jalen Smith fouled him. Jalen Smith definitely fouled the guy, but uh, I'm not going to complain considering how terrible the officiating was in the first half that if they miss that one call at the end of the game, I don't really care. I mean, Big Ten refs are absolutely awful. So the fact that they missed that call doesn't really bother me considering they called some absolutely garbage fouls in the first half. I don't know what it is with, with my teams and bad refs because Liberty and Maryland both get it. I don't know who necessarily has it worse, but they both get it pretty bad. But that's, that's the big question, is can this team actually get out of their own way? Because you can't keep falling behind as big as they do early against the much better teams you are going to play in the later rounds of the tournament. Because right now, I think they're still pretty solidly on the two line. So they'll have decently easy games in the first couple rounds. But once you get to the Sweet 16, you're up against other good teams and you can't spot them a 16-point halftime lead and do what you did against the below-average Minnesota Golden Gophers. 
you just can't because you're going to lose. And I don't know which Maryland team is going to show up come tournament time. And I'll just say this. If, uh, if they do end up facing Liberty at any point in the tournament, I have one, they've fallen lower on my rankings of teams anyway, but if they do end up facing Liberty in the tournament, I know I'm going to be wearing a red shirt either way, but I don't, I definitely know what colors are going to be accenting that red. It's uh, it's blue and white. It's not uh white, black, and gold, uh, if if you know what I mean. I don't think they could even beat Liberty, really, because I don't trust them to not overlook them. And that's... They have, they have yet to prove to me that they can really do that because they have multiple times this season overlooked inferior opponents a little bit and it's come back to bite them. They got lucky against Minnesota, really. Because that big second half run, you can't keep winning like that. So we'll see come tournament time. But as far as as far as games this weekend goes, Maryland is also involved in one of the big, big games this weekend. And it is the primetime game on ESPN. It is them and Michigan State in College Park. I think they will actually get up for that one because Michigan state is a good team. And with the added benefit of this being a home game for them, I think they will look incredibly dominant and uh, kick the, the false hope, the false hope mobile into overdrive because I, like I said, I still don't necessarily trust this particular Maryland team because I have seen better Maryland teams choke in the tournament. So I don't necessarily trust this one either, but I think they can, they can handle Michigan state. As far as the other big one is Auburn at Kentucky. I didn't expect a SEC basketball game to be this must-see late in February. But that should be a really good game because Auburn made the Final Four last year, and they are still ridiculously good. Bruce Pearl is a really good coach. And I think they can win that one. Now, they've had the same problems of uh, spotting opponents big leads and having to come back that Maryland has. And they are equally as good at it. The The two schools are actually tied with with one other. I think it's Nichols. They're tied with Nichols State for uh, for three times each coming back from 15 point or bigger deficits. So uh, that's, that's an impressive resume right there. And I think as far as that game goes, I think Auburn can win that one. I think that one, I think both of those games are, could very well go either way. 
and I'm kind of picking with my heart a little bit, picking Maryland and Auburn. But I think, I think Maryland with the advantage of home crowd can beat Michigan state and Auburn's just been playing really well lately. And even though they've been winning, Kentucky's been kind of in a little bit of a slump. But Auburn's been playing really some of their best basketball of the season in this last little stretch. So I think I think they can win that one. And it's at a weird time. It's a 345 tip, which might be a little weird which may throw the the fans in Lexington off a little bit and give Auburn an advantage. I am much less confident in my Auburn prediction than I am Maryland beating Michigan State because everything is going in Maryland's favor for that one. It's the primetime game. It's college game day. It's on ESPN. It's a ranked opponent. It's in College Park. Like Everything is going in their favor. Not as much as going in Auburn's favor for that Kentucky matchup. But I still think, despite being ranked lower, I think Auburn might actually be the better team this year just because they have had to fight a little bit harder in a lot of games but have really turned the corner in the last couple weeks. Something in Auburn's going to win that one. Not too many other super interesting games. I mean, any big East game is going to be interesting. So Providence Nova, one of the early games on Saturday, that's a, that's a decent enough one. Michigan, Ohio state is one of the afternoon games on Sunday, which should be really good. Cause I think same thing with Auburn, Michigan state's been playing really, really well lately or Michigan, Michigan, the, uh, the Wolverines have been playing really well lately. So I think, and same with Ohio State. The two of them have have been pretty good. And it's a rivalry game, so obviously you're going to get a good one out of that one, really, no matter what. Look at Duke UNC for, uh, for an example of that when uh, really no matter what, when two rivals play, you throw the record book out the window. And in the case of this one, their record is exactly the same. So I think I think you got some decent games this weekend. Uh, Seton Hall Marquette should be another good one. Two of the best scorers in the country going at it with uh, Marcus Howard and Miles Powell. Like that should be a really, really good game. Duke Virginia could be good because it's at Virginia. And if Virginia is still good at one thing this year that they carried over from last year, it's the defense. And I don't know if Duke's defense would is really good enough to, contain what is and not exactly highly effective, but at least efficient UVA offense. They don't score a lot, but they also don't miss very often. It it just takes them forever to get shots. Their their offense is a little on the slower side. So I think Duke might have some problems mostly with their defense. And I think Virginia's offense may do just enough with that, with that home court edge to, to get the win. San Diego state, they have what is basically a bounce back game against Nevada after their first loss of the season. 
and Gonzaga has uh, their their big rival in St. Mary's. So overall, a pretty good Saturday slate. There's a few other ones sprinkled throughout. Baylor TCU should be decent enough. Kansas, Kansas State. I mean, the last time those two teams played, a giant brawl broke out. But let's be honest, Kansas State is not that good this year. So I don't know how great that game's going to be. It's at Kansas State, so it might improve in quality a little bit. But I don't know how much against the number one team in the country that just beat Baylor. That could be a bit of a trap game because it is coming off a pretty big win. And they've got and they got TCU next. That's Yeah, they're the rest of their schedule is relatively easy for them. So I don't know if that could really be considered a trap game, maybe a reverse trap game where it's coming off a big one rather than going into a big one and you're looking past it. So yeah, I think but overall, great slate of games this weekend. Really no matter what you're into, you could probably find a game for you. But that's it for college basketball up next switching back to esports and talking some overwatch league they're heading to houston this week so we'll get into that right after this here on the mashup all right we're back on the mashup and time to talk some overwatch league and just houston this weekend because all the asian events have Still been canceled for obvious reasons, and they have not figured out a situation to make those up just yet. And Overwatch League, you really need to get on that because uh, those Asian teams are about to start falling behind in games played. They haven't played yet, and some of these other teams are about to crack five this weekend. I think Fusion and New York, at least, will both crack five this weekend as will Boston and Houston. A lot of teams are going to hit five games this weekend. Most of the teams at this event are going to hit five games this weekend. Atlanta is playing their first two. And just given the quality of the matchups, I think that is the most overall interesting thing about this weekend is the first look at this 2020 Atlanta rain, because other than a few players, this is a relatively inexperienced at least at the overwatch league level this is a relatively inexperienced team other than a few key players obviously like baby bay and Dogman, and a few of their other guys like most of these guys have not played at the overwatch league level just yet and even the guys who have only played last season so like this is a relatively inexperienced team and it's their first event. They have not played yet. So I don't really know exactly what we're going to get from them. Obviously, Baby Bay's a really good player. Dogman's a really good support. So they have a decent enough roster. And I think Atlanta Rain is at least a somewhat smart enough organization to sign to sign good players out of contenders. So that's what I'm interested in most this weekend because some of these other matchups aren't really jumping out at me. Like New York should roll over Florida. That's been their MO all year is to beat up on teams that are nowhere near as good as them. 
And from what I've seen from Florida, they are nowhere near as good as New York. Uh, New York should roll in that one. That one's 3-0, maybe 3-1 in the Excelsior's favor. Toronto and Atlanta should be interesting because I think Toronto is a pretty good team. They're not elite tier like Philly or San Francisco or Vancouver, but they're up there. And that is an interesting first challenge of the new season for Atlanta. Two expansion teams as well going at it. And Atlanta only matched up with expansion teams this weekend because their other game is the second game on Sunday against Paris Eternal, which also should be pretty good. I think Paris wins that one. I think they are they are a pretty good team. They're probably just below the elite tier. I don't think they're good enough to really crack that, at least not right now. They could get there later in the season. But right now, they are just outside that elite tier. And I think they should beat an Atlanta team that will have already played this this weekend When by the time that game rolls around. And I think for the most part, the Houston crowd is going to be maybe against Atlanta. Just because there's a little bit more geographic animosity. I don't get why they put Houston in the Atlantic Conference. I mean, looking at the other teams, it it only makes sense. But still, they could have figured something out to have Houston and Dallas in the same conference. Because that just feels wrong, that Houston and Dallas are almost never going to play each other in an Overwatch League season. Like, that just feels kind of wrong to me, that that Houston and Dallas just never play each other. That feels that feels kind of gross. And as far as the last Saturday game goes, London's going to beat Houston. Houston is not good this year. I don't know really what happened to them. I thought they would be better than this. I didn't think they'd be great because they lost a lot of talent from from last year. But their decision-making, their gameplay, their, basically their everything has been weird and hasn't made much sense so far this season, really at all. They were running that weird Lucio Brig comp in their first couple games, and it wasn't working, clearly wasn't working, and they weren't switching off of it. So I don't know if I really trust them to uh, send their home crowd happy on Saturday. I think if they played to the best of their ability, they could beat London because I think London, like I mentioned on the show earlier this week, is going to suffer from some inconsistency just because they're such a young team. It is mostly rookies and then Krillin, (laughs) one carryover from last year who barely got any playing time and then a whole bunch of rookies. So they're going to struggle with some inconsistency over the course of the entire season. And maybe with the crowd very much against them, since this is this is a, the uh, the Houston homestand, I think, I think Houston could get the win, but they have to play better than they have so far this season. And London would have to 
swing the pendulum the other way in the inconsistency scale to lose that one. And no matter what, I think it's close. I think this one could go to five. It's on. It's unlikely that it actually does, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did. I think this one does go to four, though, and London takes it. I'm still giving it to London, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Houston win just with the advantage of the home crowd. It's the last game of the day, obviously, because the home team always plays last at the home stands. And I could see London's pendulum of inconsistency swinging back the other way after a pretty good performance last weekend. On Sunday, obviously the most interesting game is Atlanta and Paris. Probably by far the most interesting. Uh, Philly should roll through Boston in the first game. I think that's why it's at one. Because everyone just kind of expects the fusion to, to stomp Boston a little bit. And I'm surprised they're doing four games in a single day. I like it, but I'm surprised they're doing four. Like this this Sunday slate of games is going to run pretty late because at least one of these is going over. One of these four is probably going to go five. Most likely it's Paris-Atlanta to, to go five because I think they're pretty evenly matched. At least on paper because... That's all you can go by with Atlanta because they haven't played yet. But I think on paper, they're at least somewhat evenly matched. Paris might be a little bit better. And I still think Paris takes that one in five games because, like I said, they're just below the elite tier of the Overwatch League. Them and them and Washington are, are just below uh, Philly, San, Fr- San Francisco, and Vancouver. So I think Paris takes that one. London and Florida, not doing too much for me because that's two basically rookie teams that aren't that great. I think they're both third tier because fourth tier is basically just reserved for Boston and Houston. I think they're about third tier, right right middle of the pack in, in third tier for both of them. But I think with the advantage of fans being able to travel from Miami, Tampa, Orlando to Houston much easier than fans from London could, I think Florida can take this one in four. This one will be pretty close too. Each map, each map will individually be will be pretty close, and Florida takes it in four. Uh, Houston Defiant. That one I'm giving to the Defiant because I don't think Houston is very good. If Justice can go 0-2 at home last week, Houston can definitely go 0-2 at home this week because, like I mentioned earlier on this earlier on the show this week, Washington have been dealing with some kind of uh, some kind of stomach bug or something that's just kind of ravaged that roster a little bit. And they got it from Houston. The The Houston team was the one who passed it to them at the Philly event. And yeah, so uh, it's messed with Houston too. And if Justice can go 0-2 at home, 
the Outlaws absolutely can go 0-2 at home against really the same teams that, uh, or one of the same two teams that that the Justice lost to. Because the Justice lost to Paris, which is is fair, because like I said, they're on about the same level. Toronto is a little bit lower, and London is obviously above Houston because worst team in the league. But I could definitely see Houston going 0-2 if Washington went 0-2 this weekend. Overall, with Overwatch League this slate this weekend, I'm kind of disappointed. Next weekend's is definitely a little bit better just because you have more good teams. You have Washington, Philly, and Atlanta all there and New York. I'm glad Justice do have the week off to kind of deal with whatever was was messing with them last week. I don't think they will disappoint their fans next weekend, but I think Houston will. They have not shown me enough to make me think they're really any good at all this year. Who knows? They could surprise me. They could turn it around with their home crowd and just go on a ridiculous run the rest of the way thanks to the the Houston energy. But they lost a lot of talent in the offseason between last season and now. And lost some guys to retirement, lost some guys to free agency. Like That roster is pretty wrecked. It's basically a new core. And they haven't figured out how to play with each other yet. Like, there's talent there. But they haven't really nailed the chemistry of playing with each other. And they got to stop trying to overcomplicate things. Like, stop trying to reinvent the wheel in the current meta. Like, hero pools don't kick in until next week. You can play whoever you want. So hopefully they've learned their lesson of trying to reinvent the wheel on the meta. I think they did. They showed a little bit more life last weekend in Washington than they did in New York or Philly in uh, in week two. So overall, I think they are getting better. I think they are starting to nail that chemistry chemistry down of playing together. But I don't think they're there just yet. They might get one win. If they get a win, it's going to be probably against London on Saturday. Because I think, like I said, Toronto is better than London. It's still early in the season to really figure out who's who. Other than the really, really good teams. But I think I think Toronto's got it against Houston on Sunday. If Houston wins it all, they win against London on Saturday. Hopefully, they can find a way to get the Asian teams to play because they really need to figure that out. Because the rest of the league, Philly's played four, Vancouver's played two, New York's played three, Paris has played three. Like, they're... They're, uh... They gotta figure this out because... That's a whole lot of teams that have yet to play games. That is the entire Pacific East division and also Atlanta until this weekend who have yet to play a game 
and really don't have that much on the schedule. I looked through the schedule earlier this week, and it is a long time before any of the Pacific East division teams are on the schedule at all. I think it's like the end of March, beginning of April before they're even scheduled to play. They need to figure something out. Even if it means just somehow reopening Blizzard Arena and playing in LA. Because they're going to need to do something. Or like get San Francisco to host something or get Vancouver to host it instead. Like figure something out so these teams can play. Because... One, we're being robbed of the champions playing. And two, we're being robbed of the second best team in the league, at least preseason projections. We're being robbed of them playing too. And we're being robbed of some of the really good Chinese teams playing. So Overwatch League, please figure that out so the rest of your teams can uh, can catch up in games played. It's still early. The most anyone's played after this weekend is five. So hurry up and figure that out. I know you didn't expect this at all and it's hard to work around, but please figure something out. So these poor teams can play some overwatch and we can actually figure out who's who, because right now a good chunk of the league hasn't played a game. A quarter of the league has not played a game yet. So figure it out. Overwatch league. I know it's really hard, but you can find a venue in California. You could absolutely find a venue somewhere in California. You have three teams there who could potentially host something. And you have the entire state of California, which is very into esports in most of the pockets you have teams. So figure it out, guys. Have some extra events in San Francisco. They're the champions. They deserve it. Have some extra events in LA. That's what you always used to do. I don't know. Just please figure something out so these other teams can play. And this league season actually matters. Because really, if only three quarters of the league is playing and you still crown a champion at the end, that's not as strong of a champion as they probably should be. So that's all I got for Overwatch. Hopefully... They surprise me, and these games end up being better than I expect them to be. You never know with a game like Overwatch, anything could happen. But up next is talk some NBA and the disaster of the 76ers and a few other teams, really. But that's up next here on the mashup. All right, switching it back over to uh, traditional sports, NBA time. And uh, this is fine. This is all totally fine. The Sixers just lost to the Cavs. And Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are both injured. Great times. Great times to be a Sixers fan. Oh, man, this is bad. They have been atrocious on the road all year. And... Already being down Simmons and then losing Embiid very early in that game did not help. And they lost a game they should have won even without Embiid because I will remind everyone, the Cavaliers suck. They are 24 games under 500. 23 coming into that or 
It would have been 16 and 41. So 25 games under 500 coming into that game. Why are the Sixers losing to them even without Embiid and Simmons? I've seen the numbers. They are terrible without those two on the court. I'll be honest. They really are awful without the two of them out there or without at least one of them out there. They're actually better with just one. They're significantly better with Embiid. They're good with just Simmons. They're decent with both of them out there, and they're atrocious with both of them not out there. So if these are long-term injuries, which uh, for Simmons at least it very well could be, this is going to be pretty bad for the Sixers. (laughs) This could actually be very bad for the Sixers. And uh, I have been trumpeting the uh, the cause of the orange and black roommates of the 76ers on Twitter very much the past couple of weeks because they have not been playing very well. And now their two best players are injured. So this is just great. This is a great time. This is so much fun. They're still, they're still in a playoff spot. They're still in fifth in the East. But I don't have much hope for them really at all this season. I think they'll make the playoffs and I think they'll disappoint in the first round because they have clearly shown they can't win on the road. What's their they're nine and twenty one on the road. They're twenty seven and two at home. So if they were even five hundred on the road, they were fifteen and fifteen. They would be 42 and 17 overall. That is good for third in the Eastern Conference right now. Third. They'd be a half game or a single game behind the Raptors if they were even 500 on the road. But because they're so far under, they are in fifth at 36 and 23 overall. So I have no faith in what the 76ers can accomplish this year, especially if Embiid or Simmons are out for any extended period of time. Which, at least with Simmons, it's looking like it's going to be. I haven't heard anything about Embiid just yet. But if this is a long-term injury, they might not even make the playoffs because if you're losing to the Cavs without the two of them, you don't deserve to make the playoffs. If you are that lacking in depth and drive to win games that you can't beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in 2020, you don't deserve to make the playoffs. So if these injuries are long-term at all, I have zero faith in the Sixers. I have zero faith in them already. But if these injuries are long-term, they aren't going to do anything. They're going to lose in the first round. They're in fourth, which means they would match up with... They would match up with the Heat. They would match up with the Miami Heat. There is no way they're winning that series. There's no way in earth they would beat the Miami Heat right now. That would be horrible. They would probably get swept. They might win one game in Philly, so maybe they lose in five. 
So yeah, I have no faith in the Sixers, even with Simmons and Embiid. But without them, it is so much worse. Because they could take a drop in the Eastern Conference without them. I don't know what's wrong with them this year, but they need to do something. And now, Glenn Robinson is mad about his uh, lack of playing time. Great. Ugh. Someone please fix this team. I don't know who, I don't know how, but please, for the love of God, fix the 76ers. I don't know how you're going to do it, but please fix them. And another thing that has made me absolutely insanely mad this week. Can someone please tell Drake he didn't win the NBA championship? He's walking in there with what looked like a boxing title and the WWE championship. Dude, you are an annoying fan and a second-rate rapper. You did not win an NBA title. The only reason the Raptors even made the finals is because of the luckiest shot I have ever seen. If that shot doesn't go, you're still a Warriors fan. Or if that shot doesn't go because the Warriors are kind of terrible this year, if that shot doesn't go... You're probably a Bucks fan this year, you bandwagon-hopping clown. You did not win an NBA title. You're a fan. And a bandwagon jumper at that. So stop with the stupid belts, and I'm glad the Bucks kicked the crap out of the Raptors. Because you are incredibly annoying. You make what should have been a likable team last year one of the most hated in all of the NBA... And you're just generally annoying. So stop bandwagon hopping to every team in every sport you can think of that are doing even kind of well and stop with acting like you were a key part of that Raptors roster last year because you weren't. It was Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam. They were the key pieces of that championship team, not you. So stop with acting like you were such an important part of that and stop. You're worse than Spike Lee was when the Knicks were good. Because you somehow even have have even less talent than he does. So go back to being a normal fan like the rest of us, just with more money and shut up. My God, you're really annoying. And your music sucks. So stop. Anyway, have a few other takes to spew. Um, no matter what anyone says, John Morant should be rookie of the year. I don't care if the Grizzlies are on a four game losing streak, which they are. They are still in eighth place in the West, which is still better than anyone expected them to be this year. At all. I didn't expect them to be good. I expected John Morant to get his struggle with the NBA a little bit and they maybe maybe are pushing for that last playoff spot. No, they've been holding on to that spot steady for the last month. So even with this four game losing streak, they're still right in the thick of that last spot. And Zion has not played a full season and will not play a full season. So he should not be rookie of the year. The Pelicans are still 
well out of a playoff spot. They're three games back of Memphis, who just went on a four-game losing streak. So, no, he should not be Rookie of the Year. It should be John Moran. And overall, I feel really bad for Bradley Beal. I feel super terrible for Bradley Beal because the dude has been playing out of his mind and his team sucks. He decided to stay there and... The dude dropped 50 points in back-to-back games, and they lost both of them. How does that happen? How does that happen at all? Look, I know one of them was against the Bucks, but... You can't have your best player drop 50 and you still lose. That's just a matter of not playing defense. And they lost to the Bulls. The Bulls aren't great this year. If your best guy drops 50 against them, you should probably win. Nope. They lost by nine. So I just feel bad for the guy who took this fat contract to stay in Washington. To be loyal to the team that has been very good to him overall. And they just can't get it done. He had a he had less of a good game. He scored 30. And they won. So it's not as bad if they would have lost last last night. But I feel bad for the guy because he's been going off and the team's just doing nothing to help him because they can't play any defense. I feel really bad for the guy. And he's just stuck there. It kind of sucks. But that's all I got for the NBA. One final segment or one final segment and a half talking some league and the new NFL CBA. We'll wrap up the show right after this here on the mashup. All right. Welcome back to the mashup. One last double up segment because there's some NFL stuff to talk about, but it's not worth its own entire segment. So we'll get to that right at the end. But first jump into some, League of Legends and a little bit of CSGO because they both have uh, similar things happening to some of their biggest events of the calendar year. Both MSI and IEM Katowice for League and CSGO respectively have been affected by the coronavirus outbreak. In the case of MSI, it's getting delayed. And for the case of IEM, they are still having it. But nobody is going to be in the arena. No spectators. It is just players and staff. So refs, casters, coaches, players. That's it. Which is a shame for one of CSGO's majors. I'm not a big CSGO guy, but Katowice is always a big deal for CSGO. And like even I know that as someone who's not really plugged into that scene at all. And at least they're having it. It's not getting delayed. But not having a crowd, I bet a whole lot of people are not too happy about that. People who made plans to travel to that, to travel to Poland, those tickets can't be cheap. The sponsors are probably furious because it wasn't a decision by IEM or ESL or anyone or even Valve. Like it wasn't anyone directly involved. It was the Polish government who said, no, like, this is not happening. You are not 
bringing thousands of spectators from all over the world into one of our bigger cities in a packed out venue. Like you are just not doing that. So I get the logic, but it's a real shame that it's affecting probably the biggest event on the calendar year for CSGO. As far as MSI, it makes sense that it's getting delayed because the LPL and as far as I know, the LCK are not currently playing games. So half of your major regions, which uh, let's be real, MSI champ is probably coming from one of the four major regions this year. If half of your major regions can't play games, you can't really have MSI. And that would be so incredibly cloud nine. If MSI just gets straight up canceled, it's like, look, like we don't have time to put this on. We're just going to have to wait till worlds and we're just not going to do MSI this year. That would be the most cloud nine thing ever to have the best spring split in LCS history because they're 10 and 0. like this is already the best spring split in the history of the LCS. Cause I don't see anybody really beating them more than once. I see them maybe losing a game the rest of the way, maybe two. So the best spring split in the history of the LCS, they would probably win the spring playoffs and they would go to MSI. It is so incredibly cloud nine to do all of that and not have an MSI to go to. That is like the most cloud nine thing I have ever heard. It's it's just their luck, isn't it? They are a snake-bitten org to an unimaginable degree. In almost every game, they are just massively snake-bitten. Like in Overwatch, C9ing is when you forget to get on the objective in overtime because they did it at OG and Apex, the precursor to Overwatch League. It, they're just such a snake-bitten organization. Their CSGO team took forever to win a major. Like, they had Shroud, one of the best players ever. The dude who is so good, people are convinced he might be a robot because his his aim in FPS games is so good. Like, just think about that. They had Shroud on their team. And they didn't win a major until he wasn't on the team anymore. And it was a miracle they did. I mean, it was a great run. Like I said, don't know that much about CSGO, but I knew about that. Because that was a huge deal. So Cloud9 overall is just a super snake bit org. Because that would happen to them, wouldn't it? They have an absolutely insane spring split. And there's just no MSI to go to. They gotta wait till Worlds. And they gotta win... In summer, which let's be honest, they probably will because I don't see the LCS making enough of a change between spring and summer to really challenge cloud nine. Those other two teams that qualify for worlds are not going to do that much this year. At least NA will have one good rep unlike last year. And heck, it's cloud nine again. They made the semis two years ago. Uh, it it would happen to them, wouldn't it? It wouldn't happen to anyone else. It could only happen this year when 
half the league, half the major regions are in a part of the world that is suffering a, from a major virus outbreak and they can't play. Hopefully the LPL is starting to figure it out with playing online. But we still don't know where MSI is going to be. I mean, my money's on North America just because Korea and China are kind of out of the question. And China hosted it last year, so they're definitely out. So yeah, I'm thinking I'm thinking it's probably going to be North America. Just just a thought, because that seems, honestly, this year, that seems like the best place to put it. I hope they at least have an idea of where they're going to put it when they do have it, because I know it's delayed, but I hope the delay wasn't partially to figure out where they want it to be. I hope it's in NA, because uh, last year's MSI, those time differences were not very fun between uh, the East Coast and China. Ugh, no. Just like Worlds in 2018, too. Uh, no. No, no, no. Do not want more of that. Put it in NA, where uh, the greatest time difference between here and where MSI is happening is three hours. I like that a lot better. But one of the other big things that came out just today, as I'm recording this, is one of the first characters for Riot's um, Overwatch CSGO hybrid game. From all the alpha footage I've seen, that's basically what it looks like. It looks like CSGO and Overwatch had a baby. And that's Project A, which may or may not be called Valorant. Which, pretty cool name. It's very Riot. It's a very Riot name for something. And one of the characters leaked. Named Sage. And she's literally just Mercy and Moira smashed into one character. Right, can't help rip off other esports, can they? Because this character, Sage, is literally just Mercy and Moira smashed into a single character, and they made her Asian. Obviously, the game's going to work a little bit differently from what I've seen, where you have to actually buy guns and you have to buy their abilities like CSGO. Which is an interesting concept. I actually really like that. Because I'm probably going to play Project A at least a little bit when whenever it comes out. Hopefully uh, they don't they don't make you unlock characters like they do in League. And it's more like Overwatch and you just have access to everybody from the word go. And as they add new characters, you also have access to those new characters. And just invest even more money into skins. Because... There are very few bad Overwatch skins. There's a lot of bad League skins. So, I think if Riot were smart, they would follow the Overwatch model for this game and have every new character be just freely available when they come out and just put a bunch of money into skins because you will make your money back if you make good skins for these characters because the character designs are already cool. From what I've seen, they lend themselves well to good skins. So if you make good ones, which Riot are definitely capable of, they've been on a tear with pretty good skins lately. You would make absolute bank off this game. Like you're probably going to anyway, because Riot basically owns China. As far as consumers and everything go. 
they are going to make a ridiculous amount of money on this game. If they did it right, they could make even more. And doing it right, to me at least, means your characters are free, but you invest so much into making good skins that return on investment will just be ridiculously high. That's what Riot needs to do. I don't know if they will. That's not really their model, given how League of Legends works. But I hope since it's a first-person shooter, they stick to the more Overwatch model. And I real as far as gameplay goes, if it's true, I really like the idea of buying abilities. Where you have to... Where you don't just get all of their abilities. You have to strategize before every round. Like, I really like that idea. And then by the late rounds, it's just like, okay, I got everything I need. And it synergizes really well with my team. I hope that's what they do. It's probably what they should do. But we won't really know until the public beta comes out or even a private beta comes out and enough people get access to it to spread that information to the rest of us who are, based on uh, Twitter's reactions, clearly very hungry for it. It all depends on what Riot's going to do. I think they're going to do a public beta because they did with Legends of Runeterra. So they'll probably have a public beta for this game too. I hope they do because I really want to play it because I'm definitely intrigued at the idea of a hero shooter but in the style of CSGO which basically sounds like Rainbow Six Siege but different like a straight up like playing Overwatch by CSGO rules like that seems very interesting to me and I'm curious as to how they're going to pull it off. I'm curious as to how it's going to play. Because Riot has shown they have an issue balancing things. I mean, Blizzard does with Overwatch too. They've had their issues. So going into a game like this could open up its own even bigger can of worms than the massive balance issues League of Legends has. So that's that's an interesting thing to watch. Because Riot overall makes pretty good games. They just have trouble with balancing just a little bit. So we'll see. Hopefully there's a public beta. And when there is, I am definitely going to play it because I am super curious. But one final thing before we wrap up today. Unfortunately, the NFLPA, as far as the player reps are concerned, did pass the new CBA. And Aaron Rodgers and Marquise Pouncey absolutely hated it. And really, so do I. 17 games is a dumb idea. Seven playoff teams per conference is a dumb idea. NFL, you really shouldn't do this. The symmetry of doing 16 games works so well. Don't do 17, please. Sure, you get two bye weeks. Whoop-dee-doo. That 17 is going to be awful. And seven teams per conference in the playoffs, that's not going to be amazing. Because I'm not one to buy into the theory of, oh, that's going to let a bunch of bad teams into the playoffs. No, like, a team could go 10-6 and and still miss the playoffs. A team that goes 10-6 and is still a pretty good team. But at the same time, that makes the NFL look better that you can go 10 and 6 and still miss the playoffs. 
Now, in a year like last year where the NFC East was just absolute trash and you win a crappy division, but you still get a home game, like that doesn't seem super fair, but that doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often at all. It happens once like every five or six years. So that's not a huge deal to me. I just don't like the idea of seven teams making the playoffs because that is getting too close to that 50% number. And I think under half the league should probably make the playoffs, especially in football. It should be an even number and it should be under half for, for football. So six is perfect because it is under half and it's an even number. Seven is weird. It's not as bad as baseball. Baseball is terrible. So it's not, thankfully it's not that bad, but it's still not good. So please, the rest of the player membership of the NFLPA, please don't pass this. I know you get more revenue and it is a ridiculous amount of money. Like someone did the math and the, that 1% shift from 47 to 48% is like over the next 10 years, $5 billion. And that's 1% of the NFL's revenue. 1% is a whole lot of money. So I get the players want more revenue and they want better revenue sharing, but 17 games is not the way to do it. That's going to be terrible. They need to stick to 16. It's better than 18. Don't get me wrong. It's better than 18, but 17 isn't good either. 16 works perfectly. You have four divisions per conference, two conferences. You Each division is four members. You have all this stuff with even numbers. Don't go to 17 and make scheduling whack. Just, no, please. Scheduling works perfectly in the NFL right now. You know exactly who you're going to play every year. And it works great. Please just stick to that and don't go to 17. I know you're hungry for more money and people are definitely hungrier for more football, but don't. It is not worth it. Do not go to 17, please. All right, that's all I got for today. Enjoy your weekend, everyone. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a review on whatever podcast app you choose. Subscribe. And if you want to take it a step further, go support the show over on Patreon. I would really appreciate it. If you can't do that, obviously rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends, do whatever you can to support this show whatever you can do i would really appreciate it but have a good weekend everybody hope you enjoy the stack slate of whatever it is you're going to watch and i will talk to you guys on tuesday see you then